Good morning. When we started this, uh, this series on uh, characters in the Old Testament, I think it was several years ago now, I still remember uh, Don's introduction to it. Don introduced us to the study by turning to a passage in 1 Corinthians, which uh, would be great if everybody could turn there this morning. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10. To help explain why we're going back and studying of uh, people who died long ago. What's the value of it? And uh, hopefully it'll be a reminder for us this morning as we're still studying of people long ago. Though perhaps not quite as long ago as the people we started out studying. There's still people long ago. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll go ahead and start in verse 1, just for continuity. And we'll read up to verse 11. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor murmur as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition on whom the end of the ages have come. So we have here a summary of some of the Old Testament saints, in particular ones that have died. It refers to the uh, Israel that went out of Egypt following Moses, and he talks about how they were all under the cloud, they all passed through the sea. They were all in appearance under the blessing of God, and yet God was not pleased with all of them, and the evidence was that their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Many of them died through judgment of God. God was judging them. And yet, all of these judgments that are described in the following verses are being used here as an example for us. God didn't just do it and was done with it. God did it to teach us something about the particular sins that we're involved with, that God hates them. And uh, sometimes when we study, study characters, we find examples to follow. Sometimes we find examples not to follow. Today we have an example not to follow. But one that God judged for our Edification, or it says again in verse 11, they were written for our admonition, to help us, help us live the life that God wants us to live. So with that said, that introduction, turn to Acts chapter 4. Actually, we'll go ahead and start in Acts, yeah, Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick up 
where Michael has left us. In fact, we will review the passage that Michael started us with last week, Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So up to here we covered last week. Now we continue. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard those things. And the young man rose up, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she, she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look at the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came, and came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And we'll stop right there. So last time we saw the, what we called the early church, you can call it the Pentecostal church, but it was a true Pentecostal church, a church that was born as the result of uh, the apostles' preaching. In Jerusalem, we, we saw a great expression of love in that church. Uh, people uh, in the church loved one another so much that if somebody had possessions, they would sell them to provide for the needs of others. Well, into this mix, we have come two people named Ananias and Sapphira, it doesn't specifically say whether they were believers or not. They were probably not true believers, but they were in the church. They acted as believers in the church. And here we see them in verse 1, that they sold a possession. 
And we see in the passage, they came and they offered it to, uh, before Peter or the apostles in the same way everybody else did. So they tried to appear exactly as the other believers did that had possessions, selling the possessions and then bringing it uh, to the apostles, laying it at the apostles' feet with the intention that it will be sold or that it will be distributed to those that had need. However, we see one, uh, the first difference we see is in verse 2. It says they kept back part of the proceeds. They kept back part of it. Why? Why did Ananias and Sapphira kept back part of the proceeds? It was theirs. It was their land. They certainly had a right to do with it as they pleased. Peter was very clear about it earlier on, but it specifies here that they kept back part of the proceeds. Well, there's a tension as I see it. There's a tension between the love of the world or the love of the things of the world and the love of the brethren. If they just love the things of the world, they would try to gain as much of the world as they can and they wouldn't give any to the brethren. If they just love the brethren, they would sell the things of the world. That's not important. We love the brethren. Let's provide for the brethren needs. And in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, we see they could only go so far. They weren't willing to give up on the things of this world completely for the sake of the brethren. Now, there's uh, some verses that relate to that. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So here we see the love of the world, the love of the things of the world. And it says in the verses here specifically, that's not the way a believer should be. Okay, Believers shouldn't have love for the things of this world. It says, uh, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Not a good sign in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, that they loved the things of the world so much they weren't willing to give them all up for the sake of the brethren. On the other side, to look at the love of the saints, obviously we see it very strongly here in the early church, right? People were selling all they had to share with the saints, showing their love for the saints. Was that just them, or should that apply to us today as well? Well, the Bible is very clear about it. Starting with Jesus in John chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples, and this is toward the end of his ministry. This is uh, in that last uh, supper after Jesus washed their feet. He says, "Do not." He says, "A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another." So this was the great command of the Lord Jesus: is that we love one another. Okay, and he added on top of it, "This will be your testimony." This is how people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love to one another. And I should uh, stop and, and uh, say that uh, many of you know I have, I have a cyst in my ear. And it's interesting how God uses problems in our lives for our benefits. And the Bible is very clear that he works all things together for good. One of the benefits I had as a result of this is, is a greater sense of the love of the saints. And uh, I'm sure you all love me. But I don't, I don't often perceive it. 
you don't often come and tell me that, or you don't often show me that in any way, and I'm not saying it so that you will. <laughs> but as a result of this, a lot of people came to me and expressed concern. And a lot of people come and, and tell me they're praying for me. And um, I, I know there's some sort of a list of opportunity, if you're interested in joining, of people who want to bring us meals when I'm done for my surgery or help with childcare. So in a very practical way, the saints have shown me the love because of this uh, little issue I have. And uh, so that was one way the Lord used this for my good. But the love is there uh, in, in this church as well. Sometimes we just lack the opportunities to show it. But, but Jesus said it's a commandment, something Jesus wanted to see. It's a testimony, it's a mark. Uh, and a couple of other verses in it. In First Thessalonians 4.9, Paul said, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourself are taught by God to love one another. So I don't even need to come and preach and tell you you need to love one another, because God is working that within you. If you're a true believer, the Spirit of God has come within, and the Spirit of God is teaching you to love one another. And a lot of people have stood up uh, over the years and confessed that they, had the greater, uh, they have a greater love for their brothers and sisters here in Christ than they have for their own family. How come? Well, it's something that God works within First uh, John says this, that which we have seen, I'm sorry, my notes are out of, out of order, let me fix them. It's a different verse in First John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So here love is really the evidence. If you really have God within you, God is working this love in you and it will be manifested in your life because this is what God is like. God is love. God is not going to come and reside in you without it being some sort of an effect on your life, without you growing in your love for others and in particularly for the brethren. And he concludes and says, uh, everyone who loves is born of God and the corollary is he who does not love does not know God for God is love. So again, another markdown against Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira were obviously very perceptive of this. They were aware of what others were doing. And in fact, it's probably a bad chapter break, beginning of chapter 5. They probably just saw the example of Barnabas doing it. Remember, Barnabas had a land, he sold it, and he gave all and brought it to the apostles' feet to distribute to the needs of the saints. And they, they realized that this is wrong, that their desire to keep back some of it instead of giving it all, but they realize that this is not right. And the problem is, that the big issue in the passage is they try to cover it up. They try to cover it up. Um, they bring it to the apostles' feet. It may not be so obvious in the first couple of verses. It says Peter is now challenging Ananias, and Ananias is bringing it. Well, it's very clear later on when he talks to Ananias' wife in verse 8, and Peter asked her, tell me whether you, you sold the land for so much. So they must have advertised and said, and Ananias came in and said something like that, you know, praise the Lord, I got $5,000 for the sale of my land. Here it is. Okay, well, the truth is he sold it for 10000 or we don't know how much, and he kept back part of it. Okay, so the real issue here is they're pretending to be giving it all to the Lord. Okay, it's not so much that they didn't give it all, it's the fact that they're pretending to. And uh, 
The Bible calls this character traits, and we are in character studies. So we're supposed to study character traits. The Bible calls this character trait hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And uh, the word hypocrisy or hypocrite in the Greek simply means actor. Somebody who's putting on an act. Well, that's fine if you're on a stage, especially if you get paid for it to put on an act. But it's not right in your everyday today life you're putting on an act. You're not being real. You're not being genuine. Uh, Jesus talked about hypocrisy quite a bit. And in fact, uh, it's probably the sin that Jesus condemned more than, than anything else was hypocrisy. If you remember, when Jesus came, and we see him in the Gospels, and he's telling people about God and reaching out, doing miracles. Who was his number one enemy? Or people who opposed him? It was the religious people. The people who claim to know God. And uh, when Jesus spoke about them, the biggest issue Jesus had with them was their hypocrisy. They claimed to know God. They lived, they tried to live a life that appeared to be very righteous, but there was no reality behind it. They did not have a genuine relationship with God. It was all a show. They were actors on a stage and trying to put forth their religiosity. Jesus saw through it and he called them on this hypocrisy. And he warned his disciples about it, and he warned others about it. So here's just three passages from Matthew about hypocrisy from the lips of Jesus, and we'll see what we can learn about hypocrisy. So first, uh, if you want to follow with me, I'll call out the passages, but uh, you don't have to. You can just listen to me. I'll read them all up here. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1. This is Jesus warning people about it. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. First thing we we'll learn about hypocrisy is it's selfish. Okay, here were people in the church, not not in the nice and Sapphire, but Barnabas and the others, loving other believers. They were selling their goods and using it as money to provide for the needs of others. That was the love of others. And the nice and Sapphire did not really care about others; they cared about themselves. And that's what Jesus is is uh, saying here: is they're doing it. In verse 3, that they may have glory from men. What Ananias and Sapphira wanted is people to think well of them. They wanted people to think that they were spiritual. People to think that they were religious. They were doing it not for what others will get, but what they can get out of others. And Jesus said, he said, I say to you, they have their reward. They will. Generally speaking, if you act in this way, people will think highly of you. But that's it. You're getting nothing else. You, you got your reward. People are now thinking highly of you. Uh, next passage, Matthew chapter 15 and verse 7 and 8. Now, Jesus is speaking directly to the religious people. He says to them, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, 
teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So the, the second thing we learn about hypocrisy is it has no value in the sight of God. And uh, we had a hint of it when Jesus said, they have the rewards. That's the only reward that they have. These people appear to be worshiping God. But Jesus is saying, in vain they worship me. This is empty. There's nothing there. I'm not interested in what's coming out of these people. This is empty worship. It's valueless. When we, when we do something for the appearance of others, God, God takes no pleasure in it. Okay, it has no value before God. It's in vain. Last passage in Matthew chapter 23. Verses 25 through 28. And this is, by the way, what Ananias and Sapphira were also doing. When people were coming before the apostles and, and laying their money down, it was also designed as an act of worship of God. It wasn't just designed as uh, giving, you know, helping out the other believers. It was also offering what you had to the Lord. That's why they brought it to the apostles' feet. And that's what Ananias and Sapphira claimed to be doing. But there was nothing there. As far as God was concerned, the plate was empty. They were giving him absolutely nothing. Because there was hypocrisy in it. Their heart wasn't in it. They were doing it for show. God, God is not impressed. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Probably the worst thing about hypocrisy is that It is self-deceiving. People would, on the outside, act in a way that is righteous. And I need to be careful because I say people. And uh, the reason we're studying these characters is these are struggles we all have in our lives. So I say people. But a lot of time I think of myself. As, I, as, I, as you study the Word of God to teach it, you can't avoid making self-application and uh, of the many character traits that I've taught, this is the one that sometimes I feel strikes closest to home, is hypocrisy. Do I do what I do for the sake of others or for the Lord? Or do I do it for myself? Do I uh, share, teach, preach the things that I do? Do I really do it for the Lord and for the good of others? Or am I doing it for myself, wanting to hear the praise of men? But the worst thing that is in this passage about hypocrisy is that it stays on the outside and people think that they're doing fine. Uh, the Pharisees thought that they were going to heaven because on the outside they were clean. On the outside they were acting well and people were full of their praises. They would tell them how good they were doing. But on the inside they were not right with God. But they weren't doing anything on the inside as a result. Because they thought they were fine, because they thought 
that they were good enough for God, they weren't dealing with the inside. And that's why Jesus was saying, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup. God wants us to clean the inside. God wants us to be right with him on the inside. And then the outside is also good. But if you just stay on the outside trying to appear righteous, do things that make people think highly of you, and you stay there, the inside doesn't get dealt with, you're still condemned. And that's why Jesus spoke to them in such language, saying, Woe to you! You guys are in deep trouble. You think you're good on the outside, but you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look nice, but inside those dead men's bones. You are not right with God. You're full of lawlessness. And as a result, you will be condemned. Woe to you. So the worst thing about hypocrisy is we tend to stay there, thinking that we're somehow okay without dealing with the real issues of our life and not getting them resolved. God wants in to your life. He wants to clean you from the inside out. But if you keep God on the outside by trying to look good on the outside, the inside never gets dealt with. Turning back to the book of Acts, chapter 5. We see here Peter answering, or really seeing through Ananias. There's a gift in the Bible described as the gift of discerning of spirits. And I think that's one of the gifts that Peter had because he was able to see through what Ananias was doing here and see this wasn't something inspired by the Holy Spirit but something inspired by Satan. And uh, Peter calls it out later. He sees the same thing in Simon the sorcerer. He can tell when someone is not doing something out of the right motive. So Peter was able to see through here. First, as I mentioned, uh, Peter says, uh, Ananias, why has Satan, Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. So it seems here that Peter is saying, look, as long as it was in your hand, you could do with it what you want to do. And the Bible says it too. God doesn't compel us to give anything. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. He wants us to give out of our hearts. He doesn't want people to say, well, I have to give it or else some judgment will come upon me. He wants us to give it out of love to him. He's not interested in, in us giving to him anything out of any other reason. So if Ananias and Sapphira just came together before the Lord and said, well, boy, you know, I'm, we're not ready to, to give all $10,000 to the saints, but we really do care and we really do want to help, let's give 5000 the Lord would have accepted it if that's something they gave with a cheerful heart. But the problem is that they lied about it, like we said. <clears throat> Perhaps the key in what uh, Peter says here, the key of hypocrisy is this, in, in his last phrase here in, in verse 4. He says, you have, li- you have not lied to men, but to God. And Anais and Sapphira could see the people. They could see what the people were doing, and they figured, all right, you know, we kind of like being part of this group. We want them to think we're just as spiritual and wonderful as they are. So, you know, let's sell the land. We'll give 5,000. We won't tell them we got another 5,000. And then they'll think we're one of them. They'll come and praise us for how spiritual we are. Maybe we'll get called Barnabas too, son of encouragement. You know, who knows what, what great thoughts they had of themselves and what would happen. The problem is they missed the reality in the church. And that was God. There weren't just a bunch of people. There was God in the church. First Corinthians 
chapter 3, verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. The Spirit of God dwells in you. We don't deal with a bunch of people here. We're dealing with a bunch of people, each of which is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and has a relationship with God and being led by God. If somebody comes through the door, they won't know that. They won't see it. It's invisible. But the reality is every person here that knows the Lord has the Holy Spirit in them and is being led by God the Holy Spirit and is following God the Holy Spirit as their lead. It's not just a bunch of people here. Okay? God is in their midst. In their midst individually and in their midst collectively. But Ananias and Sapphira missed it. They were just acting before people. They were concerned what, with what people thought about them. And that's typically what is the case in hypocrisy. We're, our eyes are on others. We think of what others think of us. We don't think about God. We don't realize the reality that God is in our midst. Um, First John says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We didn't come into this place just to have the relationship with a bunch of people, wonderful people though you are. We came here to have a relationship with God. Now it happens that we also enjoy the relationship with one another, but our real purpose here is our relationship with God. Truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. That's why we're here. Ananias and Sapphira missed that fact, and as a result, they lived in hypocrisy, and as a result, now they're judged by God. Why is God? So, I'm thankful that God doesn't judge us this way every time we commit a sin. Okay, otherwise there'd probably not be anybody left in this room. (laughs) Why did God judge Ananias and Sapphira in this way? Why did they fall dead as soon as the truth about them was revealed. Well, for one, the wages of sin is death. They did deserve to die. And God will judge all sin in its time, and every sin will receive the recompense of death. Those of us who have come to trust in the Lord Jesus have our sins paid in Him, but they're still paid for. Okay, so God has every right to judge and nice and sapphire for what they have done. We don't take it away from Him. However, as we said, uh, when we started here, God does certain judgment as examples to teach the rest of us. This was designed to teach the rest of us of how serious God is about hypocrisy, of us not being true with Him, not being true with others, living the life of an actor, letting things be on the outside that are not on the inside. This is how God feels about it. The third thing, the the third reason God is doing it, and uh, by the way, when I was preparing for this message, something tickled the back of my mind. I heard a message about this passage not too long ago, and I was right. Uh, Rick Bellis preached about the same passage almost exactly four years ago. Now, at the time, we were doing a different study. We were studying uh, about Christ building his church. And in that passage, Rick pointed out that there was an attack against the church that was happening here. They, the believers were, we noticed in the previous passage, they were full of love to one another. They were united. And Satan, this, this was a work of God. Remember, this was part of the testimony of God to the world was through the love of the believers to one another. 
So guess how Satan felt about it? He didn't like it. What Ananias and Sapphira were doing were part of an attack by Satan to try to break up this love and unity that was being exhibited by the church at the time. And God's action here was uh, to thwart that attack of the devil, to teach people about the seriousness of apostasy. First of all, remove what the, the, the spearhead of this attack of the devil, and second, warn the rest of the believer about this particular sin that the devil was going to use. So, number one, hypocrisy is dangerous to the church. This is not just a danger for unbelievers. The possibility of living a fake life, a life of an actor, is something believers can do, as I shared about myself. Often, there is, in my mind, the struggle, the desire to impress people. Uh, the desire to be doing well in the opinions, uh, the opinions of others. When I started my, my uh, job, the job I currently have, uh, they, at the time the company still had some money, so they uh, would take us out occasionally to try to build up the morale of the company. And I forget the name of the sport. I think it was called Gucci Ball or something like that. Anybody's familiar with Gucci Ball? Basically, you have some uh, uh, balls and you roll them. And uh, you start with one ball, and then all the other balls, you try to get as close as possible to this ball that first was rolled. And you get points for every ball of yours that's closer than the ball of the other team. And uh, that was, I just started in that company a few weeks before that. And uh, those of you who know me, I tend to be a competitive person. <laughs> the Bellisters are laughing. They introduced me to board games, and they know how serious I get about those. But uh, there's another believer in the company I work now. And uh, later on, I, I shared my testimony at, uh, at a luncheon that uh, the engineering manager took us out to. So he found out then I was a true believer, and so he came and you know, told me he was a believer, and we, we've enjoyed the great fellowship since. But he told me the first time he met me, he was like, boy, this guy is really competitive. Because I was out there you know, with the measuring tape. No, you don't. You know, this, this fault. <laughs> so I'm competitive. And uh, we can easily become competitive when it comes to spiritual appearance. We want people to think highly of us. Somebody is doing a good job teaching a Bible study or preaching a sermon or you know, doing some sort of a ministry, having a Bible study with more people in it than the number of people who come to my Bible study. And I, become com- I do things for the appearance of men. That's hypocrisy. That's not doing it for their love, and it's not doing it for the love of God. So it's a real danger for those in the church, and Jesus warned his disciples about it. It says, Jesus began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, so this is a real danger for all of us. Uh, second, the Bible describes sin as leaven. Uh, we'll be reading about uh, studying about this in our First Corinthians study in a few weeks, but First uh, Corinthians chapter five, there is a believer practicing sin, and for some strange reason, the other believers in the church thought that was just great and didn't feel the need to do anything about it. And Paul responds to them in this letter, and he says to them, "Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump." since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, 
but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Uh, for those of you like me, you may not even know what leaven is unless you cook. Uh, leaven is also known as yeast, which is something if you bake bread instead of going to Safeway and buying it, uh, not that there's anything wrong with the bread at Safeway, uh, you, you take some flour and water and maybe some other things, and then you put some leaven in it, which is yeast, and the yeast multiplies in the leaven and make it rise. And it fills it up with tiny little bubbles. And that's what ma- makes bread nice and fluffy. If you don't put the yeast in it, you'll eat unleavened bread, which might be taste good for some people, but most of us don't like it so much. But uh, the main thing is once you put leaven in the dough, forget it. The leaven is everywhere. The yeast is everywhere. It's spread out. It's throughout it. And the picture here is the church is the same way. If you put a person practicing a, a sin, for example, hypocrisy, and you don't deal with it, it spreads. So, you know, one day I get kind of competitive about it, and I try to impress people in the church by doing something, not in genuineness, out of love for the saints or love for God, but because I want people to think I'm impressed. Next thing you know, there's going to be other people in the church that are going to do, be doing the same thing. And instead of this uh, wonderful church you see, in chapter 4, where people are united and love one another, you have a church where people are at each other's throat, competing against each other. Instead of loving one another, everybody loves themselves and trying to glorify himself in expense of the others, which is what we noted this morning was happening in the church of Corinth. This is a real danger for a church. Instead of loving one another, we could be loving ourselves and trying to impress one another and have people, trying, have people glorify me instead of glorifying the Lord. And uh, people doing things for selfish motives instead of out of love for others. A real danger in the church, which we understand why God is acting so severely in the case of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, third, I noted down about the, the reason of why God hates it and dealt with such severity in this case is, uh, I wrote down, it destroys the very purpose for which Christ has come. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the verse, the verses in John, Jesus, uh, shortly before his crucifixion, again, his last night with the uh, disciples, it says, Jesus spoke this word. He lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And he's talking about the cross. The hour of the cross has come. Glorify your son. He's talking about the cross. That your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life, to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus died on the cross so you can have a personal relationship with God, not so that you can be a hypocrite and live a, live a life trying to impress people and keeping God out of it. So hypocrisy really keeps God away from the very purpose of what Christ has come to do which is giving you a genuine relationship with God so that everything you do in life, you're doing for God. You're not doing to impress other people. All right. Well, uh, the results. What was the results of this act of judgment in the church? We have it in verses, in verse 11 and the following verses. It says, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, 
but the people esteemed them highly, and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. It's been said that hypocrisy is what keeps the most, the greatest number of people out of the church. How many people did you try to witness to about the Lord and they were not interested because they knew a Christian that was living a life that they felt is a life they were not interested to be part of? They knew a, they knew a person that was going to church and worshiping in the church and they were going back home and the way they were treating their wives or their children or their pets or the way they were treating people at work wasn't a life that evidenced God being part of it. And as a result, they were not interested. At the same way, going back to what Jesus said, the greatest witness that the church can have is the love of the saints one to another. And the result here was fear. Right? In verse 11 it says, great fear came upon. Well, this was a holy fear. It was like, I don't want to do what Ananias and Sapphira did. I don't want to be pretending to giving to the Lord any more than I'm really giving to and as a result of that fear and the fear of others, unbelievers, that stayed away, it's interesting, it noted in verse 13, yet none of the rest dared to join them. They're like, okay, we're not going to play with this one. They, they esteemed them highly, but they weren't going to pretend anymore. The result of having genuine believers was that there was a much greater testimony for the Lord. And as a result, it says, believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Uh, my, my daughter is growing up. She's seven. She'll soon be, so she's six. She'll, she'll soon be seven. And, uh, as a result, the type of questions she asks me about the Bible and about God become more, um, sophisticated. And lately, she asked me, um, Daddy, how do we know that God is real? How, what, what if we're wrong and our God is not the true God? And it's Allah. Or she has, she has, uh, in our church, Muslims and Hindus, uh, really in far, far higher numbers than uh, Christians or even atheists. And, uh, I can, I can turn to page after page in the Bible and give apologetic after apologetic. But the greatest testimony I have of the reality of God is my life. Is God real in my life? Am I living a life that shows true, genuine faith in the Lord? The greatest testimony I can be to my child and really to anybody else is living a life that's genuine for God. Letting God be truly the Lord in my life and living my life truly for Him is stronger than any kind of apologetic I can bring them, any argument I can bring them, whether it be philosophical or uh, even from the Word of God. Of course, the Word of God... Being real in my life, it's something I can use with power and to be the testimony that God wants me to be in the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, your love to us. Thank you that in your love to us, you want to have a genuine relationship with us and want us to have the uh, life that you designed for the church, Lord, the life of power. I thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done in the lives of believers here. I thank you, Lord, for the love that is exhibited among the saints over here. Yet, Lord, we cry out for a greater measure of genuity in our life and a victory against hypocrisy. Lord, let us not think or care what others think of us, but care only what you think of us. 
and let you use our lives for your glory and as a testimony to those who you're trying to reach. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.